Well, let's get into the Word. Father, just open our hearts today as we look at Your Word. We acknowledge, Lord, that Your Word is not just another book. It was penned by men who were moved by Your Spirit over many years, over time, and yet there's this cohesive message of Your redemption for us. It's like no other book. It's like no other collection of writings. So, Lord, speak to us today and teach us the things that you want to teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This, I think it was two weeks ago, actually, Janice was listening to Janet Parshall on uh, WCRF, and I've only caught her show a few times, but I think it's one of the finest shows out there on radio. Uh, she interviews some really interesting people and deals with issues of the day. But she interviewed these two guys, Mark Hitchcock and Jeff Kinley, uh, in their book, The Coming Apostasy. And I'm working through this book now. I'm going to order copies of this. So if you're interested, you can read that as well. But I wanted to read something out of chapter four called Culture of Compromise. This really hit me because uh, on, during the uh, holiday season, we took our Jenga game out. Do you know what Jenga is? That's the one where you pull the blocks out one at a time. And whoever pulls the block out that makes everything fall loses, right? So he says, one of the best-known tabletop games is Jenga. In this game of skill, wooden rectangles are stacked together to construct a tower. Players take turns removing one of the rectangles without causing the tower to fall. As blocks are removed, they are placed on top of the tower so the structure gets progressively taller and less stable. Finally, someone pulls out a block and the whole structure collapses and falls apart all over the table, and at our house all over the floor, and the dog gets one, chews it up. There's this whole thing that it's terrible. Many in the church today are playing theological Jenga. They're pulling out one doctrinal or moral truth after another, leaving gaping holes as the citadel of faith grows less and less stable. But like a game of Jenga, eventually the key block is removed, and the structure can no longer stand, and the whole thing collapses in a jumbled pile. Of course, no human opposition or distortion of the truth can ever bring down God's tower of truth. But in human terms, the visible church of Jesus Christ is weakening before our eyes. The compromises we see today in the professing church are both doctrinal and moral. The doctrinal foundations of the faith, such as inspiration, sufficiency of scriptures, the virgin birth of Jesus, the deity of Christ, forgiveness by grace alone, through faith, and the literal, visible return of Jesus to earth are no longer considered essential and in many cases are viewed as detrimental to progress. Wow. As though we could improve on the gospel. Hmm? We're going to talk about that. He goes on to say, I'm reminded of a story from the ministry of Billy Graham at the close of his early Los Angeles crusade. His ministry and preaching was described in Time magazine by an Episcopalian rector who was quoted as saying, I believe he's putting the church back 50 years. At the minister's breakfast during the closing weeks of the crusade, Graham, who rarely responded to his critics, says, I'm afraid I've failed. I had hoped to put the church back 2,000 years. Yes. Along with the doctrinal departure from the truth, moral standards are being pulled out one after another like Jenga blocks. Francis Schaeffer pointed out this danger many years ago. If our reflex action is always accommodation, regardless of the centrality of truth involved, there's something wrong. Let me stop here a moment and say accommodation is where a lot of Christians live. If you have a spirit of accommodation, it may look like love, it may look like compassion, 
But if you diminish the truth of God, you're not showing compassion to anyone and it's not love because love rejoices in the truth. William Booth, 1829 through 1912, who founded the Salvation Army, was a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. On the eve of the 20th century, Booth prophesied that the gospel would not fare well in the new century. He predicted that by the end of the 20th century, many in the church would be preaching Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, and heaven without hell. That was on... 1899. Booth's words seem prophetic. That's exactly where we find ourselves today. As the saying goes, the living faith of the dead has become the dead faith of the living. We see this all around us. Compromise has sucked the life out of the living faith. And many churchgoers yawn today over truths for which their forefathers shed their blood and even died. Recent polls disclose 70% of Americans with a religious affiliation say that many religions, not just their own, can lead to salvation and eternal life. Listen to this. While 50% of evangelical regular church attenders believe that many different religions can bring salvation. 57%. These statistics represent an unprecedented sea change in opinion. They show that the greatest danger to the church today is not humanism, paganism, atheism, or agnosticism. The greatest danger is not increasing hostility against our faith from the culture. Our greatest danger is apostasy on the inside arising from false teachers, theological liberals who deny and distort biblical doctrine, and false teachers that lead others down that path. Pretty heavy-duty words. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. This is Paul writing his last letter. This is a letter that we know now was uh, there before uh, Paul is, goes to his death as a martyr. This is the last writing that he has, and it's interesting because he's writing from prison. And uh, I think the last words of anybody are important. They tend, to, they tend to distill their life and the most important words into statements here. And I think that God is speaking through the life of Paul to Timothy. Timothy's a dear son in the faith, has worked with Paul as a pastor, as a part of his apostolic team. In 2 Timothy 3.10, he says, But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and my patience, my love and my endurance. And you know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and they themselves will be deceived. Let me stop there. Look at what Paul is telling Timothy in the section of Scripture. He's telling Timothy, I didn't just teach you in classes, you saw my life. I shared my very life with you. You walked with me and you watched the gospel be alive in me. He says, you know how I live. You know what purpose my life is. And if you don't understand God's design for your life, God's purpose for your life, you'll be going here and there and everywhere else. And Paul's telling Timothy, I lived a life of purpose. I live a life of focus. I lived God's calling and God's life for you. He also says, you know about my faith and patience, my love and my endurance. 
If you're not walking with people that you can say this about them, you need to be. People whose lives you can see unfolding, unpacking what they believe. And then he says to Timothy, you saw me go through persecution and you know that even when the hard times came, I stood fast in the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't give up. I didn't waver. Then Paul says this to Timothy, and this is a word to us, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. All of us that have grown up in the Lord Jesus Christ, this word resounds to us. All of us must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Before I ever figured out intellectually that the scriptures were sound historically, that there was a historical basis for everything I read, before I read about the 47 authors and how the Bible came together and had an intellectual reason for believing that, I believed because God's presence came into my life and I was, I was touched by the presence and power of God. And remember, we're going to get into that, this series, this mini-series that I'm doing. We're talking about God's Word, God's presence, and God's ways. So there would come times when it seemed like the Word was being challenged in my life, and I would go, but you know, I know God is real because I was there when He set me free. I was there when God's presence came down. I have sensed His presence. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God do things. When we talk about God's presence, I'm going to plead with those who are my age and those who are my generation. Many of us have seen the miracles of God, and our children and grandchildren have not. We need to pass down a love for the Word, an understanding of God's presence, and how to walk in God's ways. And that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy here. I didn't just give you a class and send you on. I didn't sell you a package. You saw how I lived. You saw how I lived it out. You saw what God did in our midst. You remember what the Lord did when we were there. You remember Him healing this person. You remember what the Lord did there. This is how God wants us to walk. He goes on in verse 15, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. And then he goes on to say, all Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. I've been asking the Lord and, and I'll talk more about this next week. I, I'm saying, Lord, What are you saying to the church in 2019? And God's been giving me a download. This morning, it was just, I I had to keep recording all this stuff that God was putting on my heart. But the Lord said, people in the church are lazy. That's one of the main reasons people don't stand firm in the things of God. And I said, Lord, we have some of the hardest working people. They're always working. He said, yes, they are working and their lives are totally a blur and all they do is work, but they never work hard at studying my word. He said, there are many people in your church that don't ever break the word open. They don't read it for themselves. I'm telling you what the Lord told me this morning. I don't want you to guilt out on me, but am I right? I want to tell you something. If you ate one meal a week, how strong would you be? If you come here for a half hour meal or half hour fix, or if Dinah's preaching an hour, she's not here so I can pick on her. Actually, 
I usually go 41 minutes and Dinah goes 52 minutes. So I timed it. I said, next time, she said, help me with that. I said, I'm timing you. But you can't just come here for less than, what is an average movie? An hour and a half, right? And yet people in America want a church service. They, they did a poll and they found out, it was a number of years ago, 51 minutes is the optimum church service. It's kind of like the uh, Italian bing-bang uh, wedding receptions we used to do where they made sandwiches, gave everybody a sandwich and pushed them down the line. You know, feed the people, get them in, get them out. Actually, I feel like we need a little bit more time for God's presence to work in our midst and for us to respond and do what God wants us to do. Is that true? By the way, I told Pastor Dinah, I said, was God working in those 50-some minutes? And she said, yes. I said, okay, I'll bless you. I don't want to pick on her without blessing her. Hear what I'm saying. I'm not going to finish this message today because Janice took seven minutes. That's okay, because I don't want to rush through. But if we understand what the Lord is saying about His Word and how important His Word is, let's start looking. There are seven things that I want us to hold on to in understanding the Word of God. And the first one is, God's Word is divinely inspired. The Word of God comes with a divine address. We already read 2 Timothy 3.16. Let me read it again. All Scripture is inspired by God. In other words, it's not just another book. It's a living Word. For those of us that have been Christians for a while, you know that you can pick up the Scriptures, read something you've read 40 times before, and all of a sudden, in a moment, the Spirit of God opens up that Scripture to you, and it comes alive. It's a living word. Like Hebrews chapter 4, 12 says, the word of God is living and active. It's like a sword. It divides even soul and spirit. It opens up our heart to understand what God is saying, who we are. It's like looking in a mirror. And sometimes God's word is like a surgeon's scalpel. It does precision work in our life and cutting away things that need to be cut away. Other times it's like a sword. It's like a weapon that defends us from things that would come against us. But the word is powerful. It comes with divine address. The words are full of God's weight and anointing. And it says it corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us what to do, what is right. One of the things I pray for the children of this church and the children in my life every day is that they will understand right from wrong and light from dark because we're in a world that is saying good is evil and evil is good. And we need to teach people what is right or wrong. There are people that believe that truth changes on a daily basis. It changes based on the situation they're in. I've got to tell you, our truth does not change because it's based in the very character of God. And what he says is true is true for all time. God doesn't have to change. When you're God, you don't change. You're perfect. Second Peter Oh, let me, verse 17, I didn't get that last verse there. God uses it to prepare and equip people to do every good work. I have this picture of somebody trying to put a garden in with bare hands. Has anybody ever tried to do that? Have you? Well, your ground must have already been prepared. (laughs) Because if you don't have a shovel and if you don't have a fork and some of those things, and it says here that the Lord 
uses it to equip his people to do every good work. If you don't have the equipment, you can't do what God wants you to do. We need the word. 2 Peter 1.19, we also have the prophetic messages, something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but uh, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, God used human agents to write His Word. There are human authors. We use, God used their vocabulary. He used their mentality, their experiences in life. But it was God's message anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's almost this. You can have the same melody. You can play it on a clarinet and it sounds one way. You can play it on a saxophone. It sounds another way. You play it on a violin. It has different characteristics. But it's the same tune. So God uses a Paul, he uses a Peter. Remember, Peter and John were very different. John was the guy hanging in the background looking at everybody, this mystic guy. Peter was the guy that always spoke first. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Peter always was, he was the nose man, you know, like on a football team. He was the one that was right there in front of the quarterback, taking the the whole pressure of everything going on. And, And Peter would speak, and sometimes he got blessed, and other times the Lord said, no, Peter, that's wrong, sorry. But you've got to appreciate Peter. He was out there. He was ready to go. He had his sleeves rolled up, ready to go. So the Lord uses different people to get his message across. My theory, by the way, with the disciples, the 12 followers of Jesus, the original 12, is that Jesus picked just about every personality type you can imagine. So some of you relate to Doubting Thomas. Some of you relate to Peter. Some of you relate to John. Some of you don't even know the other guys. <laughs> but each one of the sons of thunder, were they the ones that kept everybody up at night? I don't know. We don't know why they were called that. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But the point is, is that there were all these different personality types. God's word comes with a divine address. You either accept it for what it is and does, or you walk away and you, you can't just use parts of it and use it the way you want to use it. As a matter of fact, if you do, it's a very dangerous thing. And that's exactly what's happening with a lot of leaders and theologians in the church right now. The second thing is God's Word is enduring. The Word of God endures. Matthew 5.8 says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, it says, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Do we understand that everything in the material world that we experience around us, that you can sense with your five senses right now, someday that's all going to disappear. There's a whole new administration. There's a whole new creation that God is bringing. But even when that new creation comes and the old one disappears, God's word will endure because God's word doesn't change. It will go on for all eternity. 
And yet we have people that are arrogant enough to think I can just change a little bit of the word to make it easier for people to get. How scary it is. And I think back to the early uh, 1990s when the denomination I was a part of at the time, they had a thing called the Decade of Harvest and they were talking about how to get churches to grow. And we sat around tables and I heard people talk about how if we just came up with a seeker-sensitive approach where we found out what people wanted and gave it to them, that they would be more likely to come to church Even Willow Creek, that was one of the largest seeker-sensitive churches, went on with this program, became one of the largest churches in the United States, only many years later to come up with a study, and they repented publicly over the study. They said, we grew, we grew big crowds, but we found out we weren't making disciples. Because when you give people what they want to hear, doesn't the Bible talk about that? I talked about this last week. A day will come when people will no longer put up with sound teaching out of the Word. And they will look for teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. That's what 2 Timothy talks about. There are people out there that will pay money. They will support. And and by the way, these churches that are not preaching truth are well supported. There's a market for it. Think about that. We can blame the pastors all we want. But it's all how we define success. Is a success giving people what they want? And folks, I want to tell you, that's the spirit of our age, not just in the church, but we better pay attention to it. It started with Bill Clinton in uh, the early 90s. The Clintons, for the first time, used market research to do polling and find out what people wanted, and they tailored their messages. They found words, and they were very effective at what they did. And you know what? In, In a marketing sense, there's nothing wrong with doing that. If we're talking about selling soap, cars and things like that but if we're talking about jesus and we're saying let's market jesus you can't change jesus how many of you remember the different kinds of jesus when i shared that whole list there's the hippie jesus you know that's all about green energy and stuff like that there's the you know there's the conservative jesus there's but in reality there's one jesus and when he appears most people won't recognize him But I tell you what will happen, they're going to fall on their face because it says every knee will bow and tongue confess. Because you know what? Jesus is not going to look like a lot of people think. When John saw him in the book of Revelation, when the Lord came to him, let me say his name in Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach. Yahshua is is another pronunciation of the name of, of Christ. First of all, a lot of people will be surprised he's Jewish. Man, even some of my Jewish friends are going to be surprised he's Jewish. (laughs) But it says that he will appear with eyes like blazing fire. His hair will be white like wool. That he'll be shining with the glory of God, so full of light that we'll hardly be able to look at him. Because we've never seen him in his glory. Do you remember the one time with his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration? When they went up to the top of the mountain and Jesus began to glow with the glory of God, they saw him like he was before he came to earth. And the disciples said, hey, let's build a tabernacle here. I remember on the bus going by Israel and they said, hey, look, there's a Mount of Transfiguration. They pointed it out and I thought, that's where that happened. What an amazing thing. Okay, and Jesus said, no, don't build a monument here. 
But when Jesus returns, what is he going to be holding in his hand? Actually, it comes out of his mouth, but it's the word, the, the spoken word of God. He's going to proclaim the truth. And folks, I don't know about you, but I want to be in alignment with the truth now instead of waiting for that day and find out I'm not in alignment. The word of God is so powerful and so important. I'm going to save the other five things for next week. I feel like this is enough for this morning. But the Lord is wanting to stir up our hearts to understand how important His Word is. This is why in the Old Testament, God told the Jewish people when He gave them the law, when He gave them the Jewish Scriptures we call the Old Testament, He says, I want you to bind them on your forehead. I want you to put them on your door. We've got uh, a mezuzah at our house. We have the Jewish mezuzah. We have two of them, actually. One at each door. And we have scriptures and blessings in there about the, the Lord has given us about our house. So we're obeying that scripture in the Old Testament. It's, it's part of the old Jewish covenant. You don't have to do it. But we thought it would be a great thing to do in our house, to say to our house. And when you come in the house, the Jewish people would put their hand on the blessing and remember each time they went in and they went out that this was a house that belonged to the Lord, that was dedicated to the Word of God, and that nothing evil should enter that house and nothing evil should go out of that house. Talking about our heart and the hearts of people that come in. Do you love His Word? Are we willing to stand firm even if people mock us? Because they will. If they haven't already, they will. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just take a moment to reflect on what your word says to us this morning. Thank you, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit speak through our hearts. What the Lord is saying to me, to my heart, as I'm just listening right now, is that there are some this morning, He's calling you to repentance. Repentance means to sorrow over something that you've done that's out of alignment with God's heart. But it also means to turn and do the other thing, to go the other way and start living in the opposite way. The Lord is saying for some of us, we have disregarded His Word. We haven't honored His Word in our hearts. We haven't even been reading the Word. We haven't been taking time to look at the Word. And there's this whole wealth of God's revelation that he wants us to get into, and we've been taking it for granted. When there are people in other countries, 49 countries in the world right now, that if you believe in Jesus, you could lose your life. And for many of them, to have a Bible is illegal. It's almost impossible to get God's word. And we have three or four sitting around our house. I don't want to make you guilty, but I do want to challenge you to turn away from indifference toward God's word. And I do want to challenge you to put the Word of God in the right place in your lives. How many of you would be real honest before the Lord and say, I have not been honoring the Word like I should? Would you raise your hand? 
there are a number of us. Can we all stand together? You know, being sorry about something is one thing. I think about times when I've disciplined my children or my grandchildren. Sometimes they're real sorry because they're not going to get what they want. (laughs) But they're not about to change the real condition of their heart. We don't want to be like that. We don't want to just be sorry. We want to turn around. And God, we need your help. Lord, there were a number of people that raised their hand. And at times, Lord, you've convicted me that I've been reading the word to preach instead of reading the word to know you. I have to be honest about that. And you've convicted me of that. So, Lord, I just pray that you would work in us right now, that you would stir in our hearts, God, a hunger for your word like never before. That you would make your word come alive to us, God. Forgive us for not making the word prominent where it should be. And forgive the church in this hour, Lord, because so many people that speak by your name and in your name are speaking, they're they're eroding the truth. They're, they're, They're pulling out one Jenga block of truth after another because they want to please people instead of pleasing you. Oh God, help us not to be people pleasers, but to be people who want to please you first and foremost. You are the Lord most high. Help us, God, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we have uh, emotional times of prayer and whatever. If you want to stay and pray, feel free to do that. But I think what the Lord is saying more, it's not the emotional thing. It's actually turning away and starting to do it. It's taking that book and sitting down and saying, Lord, Sometimes I don't want to read your word, but here I am, and I, and I need you to help me in being honest with him and getting into the word. Can we do that? That's your homework for this week. If you're not sure how to do that, I'd strongly recommend the Chronological Bible. It's early enough in the year that you can catch up for six days and read through the entire Bible in a year. If you've never done that, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience. If you need help with that, let us know and we'll, we'll give you ideas on where you can get those, okay? Yeah, the, our app, we can do that. You can actually, you don't have to buy anything. It's on the church app, isn't it? Okay, thank you. Just don't get distracted. Well, let's go in the blessing of the Lord. Father, I just pray that your hand of blessing would be on each one of us now as we go forth today. Let your word, Father, live in us. Not just in that book, but let it live in our hearts, God. Let it come alive in us. Let it change the way that we think and live. And bless us, God, as we share it with others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.